All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Lions Guide podcast, where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring the success stories of our guests and the lessons they've learned. I interview other subject matter experts and also review books and other resources that help us all establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Walls. I'm founder of Lions Guide. And on this episode, we've got Marines Special Forces or Special Operations Officer, rather, Ivan Ingram, who's retired. He spent 24 years working working with special operation forces in uh, you know, crisis and combat zones around the world. His experience includes working with U.S. joint and coalition soft organizations. He's led small teams and large organizations in high stakes, high risk mission sets, ranging from two-person teams to formations with more than 600 people. Ivan's depth and breadth of experience are seldomly matched, and he has a record of decisive results-based high-pressure and sometimes no-fail environments. Ivan works at Golden Compass to move professionals and organizations from existing to collective paycheck into self-discovery, unlocking their potential to live their purpose. So on this episode, Ivan and I really kind of dive into his story the last 24 years plus, you know, through the military and how he got to doing what he's doing today. We talk about the lessons he learned and uh, how we can, you know, live and lead with purpose. So if you like the sound of that, hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. You know, and as always, this podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide. So if you're tuning in and you haven't yet, and you know you're getting some value from the show, and you've not gone out to our website and uh, checked out all the content we've got out there, it's free. You know, join the pride, come join the community. Uh, we've got all kinds of content in the members area for you. You know, and that includes a reading list. We've got. You know, all kinds of live sessions that we've been doing, which has been great. They've been our Lions Guide live lectures. Uh, so we've had a number of guests come on and really, you know, the podcast, we're chopping it up and we're talking about their stories and, and kind of bobbing around with a good flow here. But, um, you know, in the lectures, you know, a lot of the guests have come back and really taught, you know, a framework or some specific set of uh, tools or techniques or otherwise that have helped them on their way. So those have been awesome. They're all recorded in the members area. So get out there and check that out. We've also got free private groups out there on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you can search those up or if you can't find them for some reason, email me or join the pride and we'll find them with you. But they're there. Um, so get out there, check it out. You know, we've got a lot of incoming and growing growth minded members in the pride. So again, it's all free and we're putting it all together to, you know, break out of these ruts, break through to the next ber- version of ourselves so we can have some fun in life, enjoy things a little bit instead of feeling like we're under this grind, you know, nothing like having that confidence to freaking kill it. So uh, we're all about establishing clarity, building your courage and being the true leader of your life. So check it out now, go to lionsguide.com and join the pride today. With that said, let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. And on today's episode, we've got Marine veteran Ivan Ingram, who is a writer, speaker, storyteller, coach, uh, leadership and organizational consultant, uh, culture consultant, and CEO of Golden Compass. Ivan, Semper Fi, welcome to the show, brother. And tell us who you are and what you do. Semper Fi, indeed. Thanks very much, Dale. Very happy to, to be on the show. Appreciate the, the invitation. Uh, as you mentioned, my my current role right now is uh, CEO of a company called Golden Compass uh, LLC. It's a leadership uh, company, and I just retired from the military. I'm literally eight weeks out of active duty as of the first of April, which would be April Fool's Day, which seems to be rather fitting. So uh, <laughs> I this is this is new territory for me, and and I'm I'm exploring it. That's when the uh, Marines we, are going to call you and say, psych, you know, get, get yeah, your, well, get your we, camis. With, with, current, <laughs> with current events right now, I, 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 I wondered, I wondered up to the last day. So sure. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, uh, so where are you, where are you uh, hailing from today? Uh, right now I'm in West Point, New York. Oh, right on. Cool. So you're East Coast with me. The uh, And uh, so, I mean, how are you feeling about it? How are you feeling about the, I mean, 24 years, like, well, one, what, what got you into the Marine Corps? Well, I wanted to be an FBI agent. I really mm-hmm. had an idea, or at least some sort of federal law enforcement agent. I had an idea that uh, after college, I worked in a couple of different jobs and it just wasn't working out. And I thought, 
I really would like to to be involved in that kind of work. It seemed rather interesting. Uh, after applying and, and making it into various parts of the interview processes, processes, I talked to an agent afterward uh, during one of them where I was turned down and they said, look, you, you're a pretty strong candidate, but we, we can be pretty selective about hiring. This is in the middle 1990s. Mm. So his recommendation was go, go become a policeman, uh, go join the military, get some your resume experience, you'll build your resume, get some experience and come back and reapply. And I probably have a pretty good chance of getting back in. So I joined the Marine Corps in 1997, late 1997, with the intent of doing about four years, uh, building that resume, going back and taking another swing at the law, federal law enforcement career. And I found I really enjoyed being in the Marine Corps, enjoyed the assignments that I had. I started out in the infantry and then became a reconnaissance, got into the reconnaissance community. So became eventually a reconnaissance officer. And just as I was about to start the process of getting out of the Marine Corps to re reattack that law enforcement dream, 9-11 happened. Yeah. And at that point, that changed, of course, the world. It changed the dynamic of, of everything in the lens of how we view things in the, in the last 20 years. And it certainly gave me a sense of, uh, of resolve that I should probably stick around. Mm. Um, and so I did. And that just led to the rest of the career, which just almost a quarter century later. Yeah, it's a it's it was a pretty interesting, pretty interesting ride. It was a pretty good, good career, good, good opportunity. And I, I made the most of it, I think. And what when you went to college, did you go to college expecting to get into law enforcement or were you aiming for something else for schooling? Uh, my goal in college was to play on a college across team and then figure out what would I do with my degree once I got done. I was, I had really, really high standards. So, uh, yeah, I, I got a, I had a history degree from a small school in, in Southern Maryland called St. Mary's college. I really enjoyed my college experience, but I, I honestly hadn't, didn't have that plan. It wasn't until I got out and started really looking for jobs and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Right. That, that sort of steered me that way. And then the military right. came as a result of those actually uh, refusals during those interviews. So sometimes you don't get what you want, but it sends you in the right direction. And we can get really ethereal about that. But I think, I think that happened all for the right reasons. Yeah, sure. Now it usually does. You know, I, I have that conversation a lot with folks, just kind of like, if you look back at your path and these different pivot points that got you to where you are today, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's really a neat reflection to kind of see these, these times that kind of really altered you know, where we landed. Um, where, I mean, so where are you from originally? You landed in St. Mary's. Are you, are you from Maryland or I'm, nearby? I am. I'm from Silver Spring, Maryland. I'm a, I was an army brat. I moved around a lot as a kid and my dad worked out of Walter Reed army medical oh. center uh, right down on. in DC when, okay. uh, when he was the, later in my life, when he was assigned there, that was sort of my permanent home. That's where I went to high school. Right on. Cool. Yeah, no, I'm, so I'm over here on the, on the shore myself, born and raised in Maryland. So the, uh, so did you, uh, Army Brad, were you here a lot of your your younger years in Maryland? No, actually, I, I lived in Texas. Uh, I lived overseas in Europe for six years uh, and then and then moved back. And then finally, you, my dad got assigned uh, right. to Maryland and that's where he stayed. Right, right. Awesome. The, uh, but, the with with regard to joining the Marine Corps, so Father's Army, was there, what, what, why Marines, I guess, with that said? Well, I actually did try and join the army uh. and the recruiters kind of dragged their feet. And there's this old cadence that said, mama told Johnny, in this case, it was mama told Ivan not to go downtown because, <laughs> and, and all the Marines right now are rolling their eyes. They're like, oh, come on, Ivan, did you really bring that up? But this is the truth. I mean, I walked down and there was a Marine gunnery sergeant sitting there and he said, Hey, what, what are you doing in the army office? Why don't you come talk to me? And, uh, Slick, slick salesman, I guess. And next yeah, thing I know, oh, yeah. I was in a, an OSO office and uh, on my way to, to, to Reno CS in, in Quantico. I mean, it, it literally was kind of that fast. And really, it was just to, to st jumpstart the career. Uh, had the Army been a little faster, probably would have pretty gone that way. Uh, I really wanted to be a Green Beret. And it ended up being becoming a, a special operations officer inside of uh, the Marine Corps, which didn't exist at the time that I joined. Of course, that mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily a, uh, the goal. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, so I, once I joined, I was you know, at that point entrenched Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. I became institutionalized. Oh I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been talking working with a guy this week and, uh, he's, he's, uh, Oh three, um, uh, med boarded out, unfortunately. Uh, but man, just, I love talking to 
Marines, just the love of the Marine Corps. Like he, he, he just can't say it enough. You know, I, I miss the Marines. I love the Marines. And, uh, and it's just, you're right. I mean, we're just institutionalized. It, it becomes a part of us. And that's why that's where the once Marine, always Marine comes from, man. We, we just embody the, the core, man. Um, the, well, uh, I, also, so, I won't, I also won't lie. I mean, the dress blues were an appeal once I got to see them and, and I'm not, I like to think I looked as good as those guys who were in the recruiting posters. I think we all do, but you know, we also know, we also know the truth, but anyway, yeah. I mean, you can dress up anybody in those things and you're coming along. So it's be okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that goes without saying anymore. Right. Like it's, yeah. you know, when people are asked like, because how, how many times have you heard that? Right. It was, it was the uniform, man. I don't, I don't want to wear the greens. <laughs> I wanted to wear them dress blues. And that's right. That's a tipping point for so many. So what was, so what was your job? that you were targeting in the Marines was what was your original list, your job? Well, I came, I came in on a, on a ground contract. Um, so that was, that's an open contract for people who don't really know you, you, you get assigned based upon how you perform it and the needs of the Marine Corps, which is, is sort of a dreaded catch-all, but I wanted to be an infantry officer. So I became an infantry officer and that's where I started out. I started actually on the West coast. If I was smart, I would have stayed out there, but instead I, I pursued the MARSOC piece once it came up, uh, Marine Special Operations Command, and that was all on the East Coast. And I ended up doing a lot of my time at Camp Lejeune. Uh, but I really, I really, that's where I got my my basis for leadership and being with uh, with Marines was was at BLT one four out in Camp Horno. For those of you who are familiar with that, it means Very oven long. in uh, <laughs> Spanish. So <laughs> and it lives up to its name. So. Uh, West Coast, where you at Pendleton, or where were you at out mm -hmm. there? Yeah, yep. right now. Yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't go a ton of places, but you know, I, I was at Pendleton as well with the FSSG back then, you know, and um, I tell people, man, it's like best duty station Marine Corps. Like it's just so much at at your hands, right? You can thirty minutes San Diego, forty minutes LA, five minutes to the beach, you know, another forty minutes you're out out in Palm Springs or whatever. Just like there's just so much there. Yeah. So many yeah. like people, you know, but my, my two bedroom apartment costs as much as the mortgage on my, you know, 3000 square foot house today, but, sure. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. but, but great, great they, place to be. They say you pay for the weather. So hundred <laughs> percent, man. A hundred percent. But yeah, I mean, awesome, awesome area. And I mean, great place to get out and, 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 you know, compared to growing up in Maryland, you know, where we got to check the weather and then look at those lies because whatever it says it's going to be, it's not. And then you're moving to uh, San Diego area, 75 and sunny every day. Never, right. I didn't have to check the weather for four years, you know, until I came back home. That it was, And funny story about that, you know, I brought my car back home and uh, like the air conditioner wasn't working. And so I take it to the mechanic and he's like, uh, when's the last time you turned this air conditioner on? I said, 1998. He's like, what? <laughs> I, I told him, you know, I've been out there in, in Oceanside or whatever. And, and he goes, dude, if if you don't use it, you lose it. Because I guess the seals crack or whatever the case. <laughs> so uh, I had to get rid of my car. But uh, yeah, man. So what, I mean, what was it, what you thought it was going to be? So you had this, this envision, you wanted to be an infantry officer. You, it's like, what, what did you think it was going to be? And what did it end up being as far as, you know, your job, your career? I mean, obviously you stayed longer than you thought you were, but you know, what'd you get out of the Marine Corps? I think that's a pretty layered question. Yeah, man, and, take your time. And, and I, no, and I love it. I just, you know, I, my, my brain started to sort of rack through. I think in the beginning, yes, I definitely, I, there was a sense of adventure. I, I, because I only thought I was going to be in for four years, I, I kind of wanted to pack as much as I could into those four mm, years. Yeah. So becoming an infantry officer was the way to be, get into force recon or get into reconnaissance. And so for me, that just seemed like this, this logical step to, to just go into all these adventurous units as I could. It also, I also had this, this vision of uh, leading small, you know, being a small unit leader, which I really, really enjoyed. Mm. And I liked that a lot, uh, not only in the infantry, but certainly when I got in reconnaissance, because you're dealing yet with even smaller teams and they have a greater responsibility uh, with the things that they do there, even, even though the infantry skills are absolutely paramount. And I mean, I think there's, incredible demonstration of that even in the current age or current time right now with the ukrainian crisis with just small unit infantry leaders in conventional fighting that is just really turning the tide of things or, or stemming the tide of things uh, there we can get to that in a minute but th those baselines were established there and i really en enjoyed just the, that initial part of it then as it as it matured or as my career matured and somewhat nominally say i matured with it 
as I got into smaller unit leadership and got into more, uh, I would call it directed type of service through special operations, I really found that I like the autonomy. Uh, I did like, and you certainly have a framework. There's a thing that you have, you, it's not a free for all, but I got a lot more uh, freedom of action, freedom of movement to make decisions and mm-hmm. lead uh, at, at different levels. And then you certainly work with different services where you then get a different, uh, a different perspective and flavor. And I know some very, very competent, good officers and staff and CEOs, just service members from across all services. So, you know, if, if it sounds like we're having a Marine uh, get together between you and I right now, absolutely, sure, we get together and we want to talk about those things. But I, I, I would be remiss in not saying that there are several people within those organizations uh, who were mentors, friends, can, I still stay in contact with, were very good, solid, professional uh, people. Uh, and I just found that I really enjoyed that. And then, of course, you know, you get, get moving and you get into a career. At the 10-year mark, you have to figure out what you're going to do within the within the Marine Corps. That's a huge crossroads for most people in the Marine Corps, regardless of rank. Because if you stay, you're 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 pretty. You, you got your four-year mark where you're you're either going to get in and keep going or keep going. You hit the 10-year mark now. You may as well stick it out. And it's a little bit of a short change to say, well, I'm going to get out. Uh, I'm only staying in because I only have three years left. Well, if it's really that burdensome, you probably should start thinking pretty quickly about what you're going to do. But if you really enjoy what you do. To your last day, uh, it becomes a it, it becomes your calling, right? It becomes your you are a profession. You're a professional soldier. You're a professional marine. You're a professional um, in what you do, and you start studying your your craft. You start studying your what that's like being a writer, an actor, yeah. uh, being a good mechanic who could look at a car and be like, dude, if you don't run your air conditioner, you got problems. Like dude, there have to be translatable pieces there. And within, within the military, at least where I worked and it was a kind of a niche organization, I admit, or at least a niche, uh, part of it, kind of a small part of it in a lot of ways. Uh, I was very fortunate to be a part of that. And I found that I could design my career the way I wanted to, even though there was significant risk in doing so. Mm-hmm. And so I like I liked that. And, and it just led to other, other assignments and things that kept things interesting. And uh, it also allowed me to be kind of a mentor teacher and give back quite a bit uh, to not only developing other units, but uh, maybe to foreign militaries and things overseas where you might not get those opportunities otherwise. It's a long-winded discussion, but that that kind of takes, it kind of encapsulates the journey. And I think you you change as you go along in those pieces or as those pieces come along. Uh, and, and you change in your perspective. And then by the time I got done, it was it was not sort of a kicking and screaming, get out of the Marine Corps, leave the service. It was, I just felt like it was time. I had done, a, I'd done what I think I wanted to do and there was really more I wanted to explore. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, it, it is. I mean, well, look, it's it's almost 25 years of your life, like you said, and in, in, in really impactful times, right? You know, I mean, just what's, what's some of like the major challenges you had to overcome over the last 25 years? You know, what's a what's a major challenge you had to overcome? Well, uh, on a personal level, you had to get selected to go to these units. So those mm-hmm. you, you had to really spend a lot of time not only being physically strong, but mentally switched on. I mean, you had to mm-hmm. you had to get yourself to get into these these units. You had to be able to be accepted to be selected. That is a def- definition of elite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm not I'm not in this point saying I'm I'm elite and better than anyone else. What I'm saying is to get to those aged levels, you you have to make a, a personal commitment. Uh, so those were big challenges to get there. Then once you were there, the, the other challenge was being uh, meeting those requirements. It was a departure point. And it took me a long time to learn that. Like, mm-hmm. like you had arrived and you'd say, okay, you know, this is who I am. And and they don't they don't understand my brilliance. Well, no, and kind of nobody cares. You need to demonstrate that. You have to, you mm-hmm. have to kind of reset how you lead and uh, adjusted to situations. And that was certainly a challenge. Um, and then certainly you're working in a hierarchy. You have to understand the the environment to which you, you are in. And then I would say that, of course, being a leader in combat is one of the most challenging things that I've ever done, uh, not only for the people that I was leading, but uh, their families back home. You, sure. you make a contract and you make a commitment that you're going to do the best that you can um, to, to bring their their loved ones back and you also owe them them the people in your charge the most dedicated leadership that you can give them yeah. and so you you really are grinding internally to to maintain that right. and so 
not putting on a false face, but you have to be consistent. You have to be the same person that they're dealing with. And not that is a hard uh, operational tempo. That's a hard rhythm to, to keep going. I mean, yeah. if you're a drum, you, people, I love music. And, you know, the drummer, Neil Peart, even that guy needed a break, right? He'd play a two and a half hour show and he'd be like, look, I got I to gotta give the arms a rest despite sure, his yeah. expertise. Yeah. And he also went and got coaching from some very uh, Buddy Rich and some of these other, you know, very masterful drummers to, to become a better drummer. There's always somebody better than you out there. There's always somebody that you, you admire. Yeah. And I think uh, in, these, in these things, one of my challenges was to take a step back and say, man, I really need some coaching on this. I need to, yeah. to figure out where I am and finding those mentors. Yeah. Again, uh, layered questions, and I'm and I'm just kind of peeling yeah, that, the, yeah, the cake, no. if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. It's 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 awesome. The um, yeah, you know, and and I love where you hit on that because I would agree, right? Like that being a leader, and it's kind of like what I'm doing today with Lions Guide and why I'm having these conversations because I personally believe that, like you're saying, being a leader is a high performing role. Like it's a high demand role. And you've really got to be on top of your game and growing to maintain and keep up with the demands of being a leader. I don't care what it is. Like if you're in charge of a nonprofit, small team, big organization, I, being a leader is hard work. It, like it's not just a, a single, you know, part of an assembly line that you're doing. Your your job is a piece, you know, when you're in charge, like it, there's a lot of dynamics to it. There's there's so much, you know, real intelligence, emotional intelligence, you know, leading up and down the chain. Like there's just so much there. Um, and it's 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 the best job you'll ever love if you're willing to think and operate at that level, you know, to what it takes. It, it, it's so easy to be a bad leader, be a toxic leader, right? Um, sure. You know, Flip, um, who's who's helping me with some Lions Guide stuff, he kind of love, he, he loves the leadership topic and, and focuses there. And and he had a great segment just this said, like, you know, there's good leadership, bad leadership, and toxic leadership. And, you know, toxic, you can see it from a mile away, right? That the leader's just, you know, he's, he's doing all the wrong things. It's obvious. And, you know, and, and then the bad leaders are, they're good guys, but they're not good leaders, right? You know, they're just not doing the things, but they're well-intended. They're just not doing good leader things. And, um, and I think that's a, a, an issue today that, you know, I think we're starving for good leadership. And as a result of a lack of leadership, we're letting bad and toxic leadership just fill the void. You know what I mean? That sometimes like the bad leadership out of necessity, certainly want to exit toxic leadership, but um, it, it's just a hard job, you know? And, and when you're in a leadership role, um, it, it, you just got to really be a high performer, you know, to it's, it's, it's all of the above. It takes everything you got, you know? So, right. And, and to your point of, of leadership crisis, I, I, I believe there is a leadership crisis in this country. I think it might be, be more endemic than that. Uh, we're in the, Epidemic's a big word, but it might be. There's a leadership crisis, I think, everywhere. And you mentioned d different types of leaders filling the void. It's any sort of leadership filling the void, you know, in, yeah. an, in an attempt to find the right thing. And, and I think one of the other, I think maybe there's a fourth leader, or maybe he's a combination in there. She, they are a combination of, the, of, of pieces, but it's the disengaged leader yeah. is the one is and and we created a, a, a culture in the military in a lot of ways because of the wars we've been involved in, particularly at higher levels that you had leaders who they didn't have to do anything right so long as they didn't do anything wrong. Right. And so then they didn't take any risks and they didn't do anything. And then they're, that just went down to their subordinates at each level going like, well, what are we doing? Like, who who is running this? And that is what is, you know, you, you, you have to be engaged. You have to get out there with your people. You, you got to take questions. You, you've got to be able to be available. People are programmed the way they're programmed. You can't make somebody be somebody they're not. If they're not a particularly good people person, they're not going to be that type of engaging person, but they still have qualities. They still have things they can offer. And there's a leadership piece that just needs to be, be turned there. And I, I was talking with a, with a person who was asking about getting some leadership coaching. And, and she said, well, I've already had leadership coaching, so I don't, I don't really need that. And I said, Okay, well, what is it that you need? And that's where th that couldn't be defined because I don't. I think people are looking for those immediate solutions without doing some serious analysis about what's what's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and then you, you almost have to take a step back 
and and deconstruct what's there. And you know, I have I have a something that I've kind of come up with, and it and it's true. It, it, you have to have patience for the process uh, because you'll get there, but sometimes it's just a little bit slower, a little bit a little bit more systematic in its analysis. Um, I spent a lot of time jumping out of airplanes. I never took one of those trips up in the air for granted. And I always did the same checks every single time. And I would say to myself, you are about to jump out of an airplane. Like, don't, like, there's nothing routine about this. Like you, you've done this many times, but there's nothing here that you can right. absolutely assume away. Right. Um, and, and so those, those piece, those pieces are all, uh, things that go into not only individual alignment, but then leading, to, as I said, about organizational culture and the people from the top who, who lead those types of things. With, with a lot of the work you're doing in surrounding leadership, you know, with Golden Compass, you know, what's what's the problem you're trying to solve with with your clients? What, how do you see it? We're, we're trying to help them solve their problems. Mm. We, 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 we can provide perspective. My, my uh, the president of the company's name is Jay, Jay Lee. Um, and I'm, I'm the CEO and, and between, you know, we, we spend a lot of time looking, I, I don't like the word client and it's not you saying it. It's just, I wish there was better. I, I look at it as a partner partnership, you know, some, yeah. a, a way to, to form a team. We look at the people that we're working uh, to work with to actually help them develop their teams to, to what their vision and their, uh, of what their requirement is instead of us going, well, this is what you should do. Yeah. We can offer perspective based upon. Yeah where we've been and, and things that we have looked at, but that's not really the right lens. The, the, the company, the people within those companies know something is missing. They know something's wrong. But back to the initial example I used, if, if, if they can't have that conversation, if that's an uncomfortable space, we want to bring them into that space and have that, have that with them and really look at something and say, okay, well, maybe this is it. Does that ring true? Help them develop those pieces. And that is a, that, that requires a relationship. Yeah. You can do one-time consultation. You can have a keynote and, and get perhaps something out of what we offer, which I'm more than happy to provide. But we'd prefer to have a long-term, long-standing, uh, go-to conversation that they feel is valuable in such a way that they want to continue that. Yeah. And and that's that's something we want to foster. It is de- it's fostering and developing that to then be there for them at the time they're making the, the choices. Hopefully based upon all of their own analysis in our, and our coaching. Right. That's, now that's I, I love it. And I love the way you even corrected that because it's not a, it's not transactional, right? It's, um, and, and, and it is perspective. It's, it's, it's a, it's an advisory role, um, much like, you know, in a way and in, in of sorts, like, you know, like in a, uh, third-party finance agency or your IT service provider, or whatever, these are trusted advisors that are going, that you as a, organization go, Hey, trusted advisor, look at my organization through your lens and help me, right? Like this is the mission we're trying to accomplish. You know, here's the issues we're dealing with. Take a look And in yours is the leadership lens, you know, Hey, this is how we're seeing it. And, and I also honor what you're saying, because I would agree that, you know, people are looking for the formula. Like, you know, I, I since, since I've been start what I've been doing for an example, like initially people will go, Hey, come show me what you did. Like, Hold on. <laughs> like what I did is what I did for me and my time and my situation with with my clients and so on. So I can't just give you like the playbook that here's the five things I did to have success and in, in growing my business and, and exiting and whatever. But I'm happy to talk about your goals and you and what you're going through because I'm happy to yield my experience and perspective for you to learn from. But I'm not here to tell you what to do, and I and I love like your approach to that with your clients because you that because that's it. You you can't tell them what to do. You can only help guide them to their own answers. That's a fit for them and their dynamics, and because it is that, and that's why leadership is so hard. There's there's not a one way cooker cookie cutter type of solution for any of it, and and nor the day, you know, uh, you can build all the systems in the world, but you're going to have to manage the exceptions and, and the comings of it. So I, I think it's awesome. Now, why, you know, why is the, the leadership aspect so important to you? Like what made you want to do, do this with regard to leadership and helping organizations? I'm a big fan of, of Simon Sinek. And mm-hmm. uh, as far as some of the leadership tenets he has, and one of them is start with why. And I went through a, a long, analysis piece with another 
coach to help me find my why statement. And we spent a lot of time breaking that down. So why I do this is to lead with purpose so that other people maximize their potential. Mm. And I think I've got a pretty good perspective, pretty I have a depth of perspective. I have a focused perspective uh, based upon my experience and based upon empathy to be able to work with different people. To your point of IT or shipping or business development, I'm not a business development guy. I'm not an IT specialist. I am not uh, a supply chain person. What I do focus on is leadership within organizations to make all those systems work better. Yeah. And and that's that's why I do that because if you've got good leadership, then everything starts to improve. And it's really easy to point a finger. It's really easy to throw a tantrum. Uh, I've had people that I was working with walk out of the room because they were fed up, not, not with me, but with the situation. And then they were so rude they couldn't they couldn't continue talking about it. Then afterwards, they acted like nothing had happened. So that you talk about toxic, there's some psychopathy there. There's some all kinds of sure, things going yeah. on. And, if you want to, if they want to be helped, they're going to have to break that down for themselves as to why they are that way. They want to have that discussion. We can do so. It makes it really hard to build a relationship. But yeah. someone gets frustrated. They sit there and say, "I'm not sure I'm understanding what you're saying," or "I don't understand this." And we have an in-depth conversation. We can probably peel away. Let's not keep things personal. Let's peel away just where things are, and then the uh, Jay and I call them pain points, yeah. the things that are difficult, and try and get around those. Um, but as I said, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a social, uh, <laughs> social construct developer, but I definitely have some, some perspective in working with a lot of different cultures and people around the world. And yeah. like one of the, I used to advise people in the Afghan army. I also worked with a couple other militaries overseas and at no point did I ever, I couldn't say, Hey, you're doing this, this wrong. You, you had to find ways to have those, some, some very difficult conversations. Um, and quite frankly, in the U.S. military, with senior members, you had to have difficult conversations, particularly if you felt like they weren't, uh, if you felt like they weren't maybe hitting the mark. Sure. That's a careful conversation to have. I've had plenty of people poke at me and say that this conversation's over, we're moving on. Got to accept it. Uh, sometimes that leader was right. Um, but other times, I, I think that that's really what's lacking is is a great deal of communication and sure. having the, those, those pieces um, deconstructed. I keep using that word, but it's true. I mean, if you really look at it like a centrifuge, that you're just separating everything to get all the little pieces that are actually con um, conform or make comprise the whole. Well, then you can really look at systems and what breaks down and where. I've got friends who are in the entertainment industry. I think that not really being, and I'm not a member of the entertainment industry. I, I like to write screenplays and I like to, to talk to directors and producers, but many people that I talk to talk about these systemic problems they have on film sets. And if I look at a film crew being assembled for a very short period of time, and some would say 10 years is not a short period of time if you're filming Lord of the Rings, but you know, you, you've got, you've got these crews that are coming together. They're from all over different disciplines within the entertainment industry to form a team. If they don't have good leadership and there's not a good team building feeling about that, that's going to be a very inefficient way to make to make a film. Yeah. And I haven't been on every film set and I haven't been everywhere, but that is this is a trend that I've seen from having conversations with these people sure. across a, a wide level. Some of these are very, very big name producers, very high levels of, uh, of success, and others are indie filmmakers who just really get it. And uh, I, I love having those conversations. I love I love understanding it. Uh, particularly when I go to watch a movie and go, how did this thing get made? <laughs> hey guys, Dale here. And I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guy community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique. Like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And you know, what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against and it's pretty demanding. The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet, but exceed those demands on you and in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the pride. 
The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you enjoy the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level, and join me on lionsguide.com, and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the Pride today. Now back to the show. Absolutely. And and that's a that's a big thing that that I think just leadership is fundamentally the maker breaker of any accomplishment like you know the, just the success of a mission whether it's the the a business or putting a film together or whatever i mean the leadership is probably one of the most important things so, and because you know the leadership's going to good leadership's going to solve a lot of problems right you get well well you know what about market conditions and what about the people you're hiring and what about whatever and i'm like yeah that's what a leader does right they adjust to the market they make sure the team's right like you can't you can't without the leadership you can't succumb those those things. Even if you're in a great market, but you've got a bad leader, you will fail in the great market. So to me, I just always come back. It's just that leadership is, you know, if something's going wrong, you got to start looking at the at the leadership because what are they doing or what are they not doing, right? You know, maybe it's a, they're just refusing to pivot from the failures or the, the market conditions or whatever, you know, and again, just comes right back to back to leadership. And a fabulous example of that, you know, almost the Lazarus effect is a guy like Steve Jobs. And I talk about him respectfully here. I know that he's uh, he's passed away, but this is a guy who founded a company, was fired by his own company, and then rehired by his company to come back and keep leading it. And so that guy just had a, had a piece uh, that the company found that it had to have. And there was probably a great deal of negotiations as to how those things would, would work when they brought, brought him back on. Um, but, but you know, a visionary. You're you're holding in your with your iPhone, and these iPads we're using. We have more technology than was in the lunar landing unit. Mm-hmm. That was all analog, if you can imagine. So yeah. I mean, that that shows true vision, true leadership, in a in a market that almost didn't exist before they they invented it. <laughs> Apple and uh, Bill Gates, etc. And this is only within the last thirty five to forty years. So I mean, that's that's just impressive to be able to to be world changing like that. And that so. I mean, that's a, that's a corporate model uh, or example, but uh, yeah, I think there's, there's just just tons of lessons that can be learned across all kinds of pieces. It need not need not be military, even if that's my primary uh, for my area of expertise or at least the experience sure. that I bring. But that that isn't meant to be paint me narrowly or that that it's such a broad brush that that this works everywhere. Like that's why we want to have that conversation with yeah. our our clients and our people and build a partnership. And I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful um, that it's becoming more part of the organizational conversation, you know, rather than all the the operational and tactical stuff, like just the management piece and the HR piece and, you know, the, 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 the P&L, right? Like, I, I feel, you know, it's start leader, the leadership and culture aspect is bubbling up to be more a part of the conversation, more a part of the training, more a part of the focus. Um, so I, I am thankful for that. I feel like in organizations, it's, you know, and hats off to, you know, folks like, you know, Jocko and these guys who made, you know, leadership a, a big part of the conversation. And and I, it, I don't know, it brought it mainstream a little bit, well, but we needed it. I mean, you know, and I think there's there needs to be more soldiers in the good fight saying we need better leadership and and you can be a better leader if, you know, to your point about your, your client walking out of the room, you got to open yourself up to it. Um, you got to, you know, check the ego and look to grow. Like, you know, I mean, you knew this, knew this from the Marine Corps, right? Our leadership principles, you know, know yourself and seek self-improvement. Like, yeah, you know, because it's growth. always, you got to constantly find that growth as a, as a leader. And going back to what you were saying about templates, and that's a that's a that's a risky thing. There's good to have departure points, like standard operating procedures, things that give you a baseline for working and working well. And the Marine Corps has that in our orders process, and as you said, the leadership traits. Um, if those are tried to apply to over any and all situations, they're not going to fit. And there's a lot of there, there's a lot of people, a lot of leaders who are looking for that solution. Um, the one thing I'd like to highlight also is that COVID not only changed the world. 
on so many levels because if it's if it's um, the swift how swiftly it spread, how little we knew about it, how still kind of little we do know about it, and its and its impact on society. But really, in the workplace, it upended the way that that businesses work, and they've they've turned to a large rem, largely remote, largely uh, distant kind of disconnected environments. The office is sort of coming back, but it's it's maybe a hybrid type of work style. And there are some companies that just aren't going to go back to that at all. And in, in where Jay and I work, we, we called that distributed operations. And you had a central headquarters that then had sort of a spoke out to, you know, that was the hub. And then you had spokes out to different operating areas. Um, you have to have a high levels of trust. You have to have high levels of confidence um, you, you have to have subordinates. When you say trust your, your subordinates, uh, the leadership has to not only trust them, but the tr- subordinates have to trust the leadership that the decisions they, they are making are, mm-hmm. are correct and aligned. There are a lot of companies out there, my opinion, who have not yet figured out how to do that well. They're working their way through it. But that's another thing that Jay and I really can can bring to the table. That's one of the things we really are able to to, to look at. I mean, I managed... 600 people in an area the size of West Virginia with a massive operating budget, never mind their care and feeding logistics, all in combat zones for mm. months on end. Mm. Um, so th- that is very challenging. That does not mean that I know how to make money in a Fortune 500 company. So that's not what I'm what I'm being brought on to do. What I can do, sure. though, is help someone who's working in distributed operations try and figure out, you know, how do you reach your people? How do you keep that morale up? How do you keep people from burning out? How do you keep things... Uh, interested, interesting, and not only that. How do you how do you connect? And it, it is more. That's where we're talking about this leadership crisis. Is that we have we have turned the, the world has just turned in such a way, pivoted in such a way that they're dealing with new new environments. But it's almost like they're in a on a foggy day. You can only see but so far, and yeah. you really have to trust your wayfinder, i.e., a compass or the direction you think you're going, uh, or you can get really turned around. And some companies are really foundering with that. I think. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there because people just say, well, I now work remotely. I can do whatever I want. And there's the great resignation. Maybe it's the great migration, the great cross-leveling because people are trying to find out exactly what they want. They've got new opportunities like they never had before. Heck, I got out of the military. I had plenty of opportunities to look at different corporate uh, assignments. I had contracting assignments. I had things readily available to me. And I, I had new space I wanted to explore. I'm ha- I can't be happier to sit here and talk with you be part of an emerging company that's just really out there to try and help help people negotiate some of this to, to navigate some of this uh, because that's all tied back to that leadership challenge and then that ties to your organizational culture what kind of culture do you have across a distributed environment we really want to help people uh, analyze that yeah it, and and that's it it's it's picking your head up you know because I, I like the fog analogy as well right like you got to pick your head up you gotta you know again back to the 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 gambit of leadership objectives like the trust the communication establishing the 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 clear vision like that's again it's not one thing it's everything all those things matter and are what the leadership need to need to tend to you know and cultivate in the environment but yeah i i I really like your point about you know um the the employees or subordinates however you want to look at it trusting their leadership right and having faith that you know because you know again bad leadership mistrust and you're taking directives, you're being asked to work harder or more or differently or whatever, but you're suspect of the directives, right? You know, it's, you know, you're almost falling before you're, you know, getting started, you know? So I, I, I love it. The, what is the, um, so talk to me a little bit about leading with purpose. What is that all about? What, what does that mean? My purpose, as I said, was to, to help people maximize their potential, but it's, it's, it's the purpose that is being applied against how people lead and it's sort of people people now are listening to this going well that sounds really cyclical but i think it's it's the truth like you're why are you doing what you're doing Mm. if you've got a purpose you've got a vision of where you want to go people need to understand that why you lead why someone leads and pushes forward and wants to be a part of that they've got to understand that ahead of time some people are egotistical some people just like to be in charge. I've worked with plenty of commanders in the Marine Corps. And one one flat out told me, I don't care what it is, I like to I like to be in charge because I like that's how I feel like I'm leading. A little bit difference between leading and just being in a leadership position. But he he did just fine. I'm not gonna bring <laughs> don't need to, to talk too too much about him. But the bottom line was that was that was his approach. That's what he wanted. At least he was clear about it. That was his purpose. Other people 
very much uh, are caring servant leaders and want to be there for their people. That can lead to being taken advantage of at times. I've, I've had that happen to myself. But I think helping people understand their purpose, helping people understand why they're out there is much more, at least is some enlightenment on the side of the leader. Yep. Just more than, well, I've got to get this done because the market shares need to be higher or we need to have better throughput. That's why we're doing this. Well, that's why you're doing this specific thing, but why do you do? And it's not the same as what you do. Yep. What and, and why are, are, are distinct. That purpose yep. piece, I think, is what defines that. In some ways also like energizes the team, right? When they know what it's for, like this work, this effort, like what is the impact? Uh, what are we solving for? And, you know, that that gives the team life, you know, instead of like, we're making 50 widgets today. That, that's your job. And I know it's going to take 60 hours this week, but that's your job, right? Like that's not a good what for, you know, but those widgets are going to go help you know, this mission or this bigger cause or whatever. And now it, it just brings some, some energy to the effort, so to speak. And, and people feel like they're a part of something um, and so on. Um, I love the, I love the mention the, of ego and, and how do we solve for it? Like, so, so how does an organization or a leader, like what are some ways that we, that we solve for this, this ego problem that sometimes rears its ugly head my opinion is everyone needs to admit they have one you have to admit that you got an ego that you are involved you are wrapped up in this stuff being egotistical someone probably has to tell you that and it's it's ugly yeah. <laughs> i'm not in the business of telling someone that they're egotistical if they ask perhaps we're gonna have a conversation but uh people have to understand they do have an ego and that that, that they are invested in these things and pe some people just don't take any time to analyze how that bleeds over, not only into their leadership, but also to their teams. And sometimes that can happen in, in negative ways. I have felt that myself. It is, who doesn't want to be told you've done a great job? Who doesn't want to have uh, commendation, maybe even adulation by people? I mean, there are, there are plenty of rock stars and people out there who feel like they've earned the right to, to be who they are and by being successful. The more humble people, though, get a lot more done and build really strong teams and pull things along uh, you know, through their, through their actions. Mm -hmm. But if, if that isn't acknowledged, if someone's not you know, willing to really take a, a self, an introspective examination, mm -hmm. uh, that's a hard thing to correct. That's, that's an opinion. And, and sometimes I probably default to that in my own uh, method, which may not always be healthy because you start second guessing a lot of things and kind of, can be a negative too much of one thing can be a negative but uh the last thing you want to do to somebody's egotistical is tell them they're acting out yeah you gotta you gotta ease you gotta ease along a little bit of that yeah yeah and i think that that again is uh from a leadership perspective because even you know working with your clients you're you're playing a, a leadership role right you're leading them to better leadership let's say you're influencing it you're guiding them um you know and and again that that calls on all your leadership skills as well to, to navigate maybe someone who is high in ego and it's not them it's everyone else's fault and they no one ever listens to all my great ideas and you're like you're dealing with that personality and you they, they will really... swing it they will swing it back around on the person they like, oh, well, here's yeah. all the things that you know you you didn't you didn't contribute or i do so much for this company and nobody even sees it that right there like if, if you're really a servant leader and you do a lot for the company that nobody sees that's why you're there that's the purpose right like people should be you should be putting those kinds of efforts and hours in there there's a lot of stuff that's going to go unrecognized you're going to do a lot of hard work and, and but you know if you feel like your, your your employees are ungrateful for the things they don't see you do, you're wrapped up in that in such a way that you, that you can't, you're not going to get that perspective. And sure. I've, I've had leaders say that. I also spent a lot of time on a, on a presentation one time and I was giving it to uh, an army officer who literally just looked at me and said, get to your point. Like he didn't have time for it anymore. Okay, we're getting to our point. Like, you know, but sir, look how awesome this is. Like, it doesn't matter. Like you're going to have to get to the right thing. And so, you have to understand that's that's kind of within a framework that you're you're going to have to work within. But uh, that th th those are very tough leaders. Those are very tough leadership pieces that that a subordinate or somebody else would have to deal with. I, I yeah. fully admit. 
Yeah, and you're right. And and it is it does come back to uh the important point you made earlier is that they have to be ready for change. Like they have to be saying, hey, they have to reach a point, I would say, like this this egotistical leader um that we're trying to solve for. I feel like they've got to come to the point where they recognize like something's not working and I'm ready to figure out what that is, right? How to you know, right, like maybe they're finally they have to see like and I guess that's the only way you can try to help solve for it is help them look at it from a different perspective. Like, well, how, how do you think that's, how do you want to see it turn out? Right. They, they're not giving you your props, so to speak. And what you, how do you, how do you want to see it? You know, what do you want to see, you know, and, right. and just kind of help them kind of, you know, understand and, and hopefully they can get to a point or reach a point there go, it's not working the way I thought it was like, I, maybe I am doing something wrong. What could I be doing differently or, or whatever. And, um, because if they're just dug in that it's, it's everybody else, it's not them. Like that's, that's a really hard thing to solve for. And it, and, and it causes a lot of distrust. Um, you know, when you have like someone in an organization that it's all about them and it's very clear, it's all about them. Um, it's been my experience that those around that person treat everything that comes from them with suspect, right? You know, that the trust isn't there because you don't know if the direction or information they're given is only to serve their means. Like they're not thinking for the team. They're 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 thinking for themselves. So when they are in meetings or or whatever, they're they're, you know, I, I feel like sometimes those individuals you kind of treat with suspect and you kind of gotta really try to dig in and find out like what's their agenda, right? Is there, is it self-serving or is it team serving? Is it mission serving? Um, Cause I've just come across some of these personalities that they, it's just self-serving and everything they do, you know? And so, you know, you treat, you treat them with suspect cause you don't know, like you got to really, I don't know. It's just a. Well, a fabulous example of that is, is Vladimir Putin. He just, you just summed it up right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the way he approaches stuff and how he, is managing, quote unquote, managing, at least working on this crisis that he has created. Uh, just it's 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 fab, it kind of fascinating in a lot of ways. Like, of course, this is on a horrific scale of, of human sure, yeah. cost. So I'm not, I'm impact, not by yeah. any means oh, diminishing right. anything like that. I'm just you know you you really you really honed in on that. And one one thing I wanted to to say, you know, kind of speaking on a more positive side that you know the other side of the negative leadership piece is companies that are really thriving and working well. And the kind of leader I'd like to work with, although I, I like leadership challenges and working through all kinds of problem solving, but I like working with leaders who are not only successful, uh, maybe we help them develop into a, a good organizational culture and team. Things start to fire and work well within their organization. And then the next question is, how do we maintain this? What's the next step? What is our next objective and how are we gonna achieve that? Like much more visionary planning uh, not just the objective that you're you're trying to to achieve, but what do you want to see as a result? And then from there, what are your long-term goals? Helping to define that, that's going to give your company vision. That's going to give your leader purpose. That's going to give purpose to your people. Like we need to keep going with back to your widget thing. We're going to make 60 widgets today. Now we're going to make 90. Here's why. We make 90 widgets. It's good for the bottom line. It helps you with your bonuses, on and on and on. But also we're contributing to the bigger whole and these are where our widgets go. Like people have a much stronger sense of pride in that. And I, I love to be, you know, help organizations achieve it. Um, so I, I know I, I had brought up two very vastly different things within the same leadership comment, but uh, you brought one piece up, and then I wanted to to, to hit yeah, hone on that other one. I think it's awesome. What What are some other things you're helping organizations solve for? Like whether it's common mistakes or corrections you're working with. Like what what are the type of things that you're solving for with organizations? Uh, one of the big pieces we, that, that Jay and I are working on is individual assessments um, so that each person in the company not only understands themselves, but then within that company or within those teams, those people under, kind of understand each other. Like it's not, yeah, there's a little psychology there. We, we, we have a very set piece of how we, we, we do those analysis uh, through, through the John Maxwell, it's called the DISC system. It's an analysis system. Mm. Um, if people are honest and forthright in the way they fill that out and the way that they then uh, the results that come out, the feedback that Jay and I can provide are not only for the individual, but then when those individuals get into team building, and this is not saying it's, a, it's a, as we talk about with templates, that it's going to solve all the issues. But when you really, 
if you wonder and I had worked together for a while and there would be those things, why is, why is Dale like this? Or how come Dale approaches this this way? And you'd be like, well, Ivan, he's going to react this way. If you knew that because we, we kind of have a system, a systematic understanding and a common ground from which we uh, analyze our teamwork, then from there, you can really build effective teams. And then you can, again, it goes to culture. It becomes this cascading piece, but upward, right? Like it just keeps building as you, as you build it out. And then you, and your team becomes very cohesive. So we like to break things down at the individual level. And this really depends on the leader, how in depth they want to be for a company of 600 people. It could be done. It'd be very time consuming, uh, but useful for the right groups of people. But if you've got your managers and you're kind of working on a more focused group, then you can kind of, build that out from there. But this goes back to what we're talking about with the distributed operations, your, your cycle of trust, uh, faith between subordinates, you know, junior leaders and senior leaders going both ways, communication. It is a more holistic approach. Mm. So that is one of the things we're really, really honing in on. Yeah, no, I, I love that. So what's uh, another kind of switching gears on on you a little bit. So I saw you, you've gotten into writing, how to you publish on some big platforms, Task and Purpose, Newsweek, like how, how has uh, writing come to be a big part of your life like that? Uh, I've, I've, wrote, I've been writing most of my life in some capacity. I was a history major, always had to write papers, but I, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed creative writing and getting into uh, just that space it was help it helped to to be an outlet. It became even more important when I was deployed. Mm-hmm. It was a thing that I was able to not only would keep with journals but also start recording a, a record of where I was, my head, individual perspectives on on a day. Whether you were mm-hmm. in a, a firefight, uh, I, I have lost people in combat. I've had people wounded. How, how those feelings? How you deal with that? Um, so those those became areas for me to reflect upon and look at and go go back to. And then from there, I decided that as I was getting out, that maybe writing was something I wanted to actually pursue. And I know people who have actually d- done that and they're becoming quite successful. One of them is a good friend of mine uh, named Worth Parker. He's he's published and he's he's doing very, very well as a as an author, but he's a he's a coach and a mentor for me. We began discussing some of my writing and he said, I think there's something there. It's up to you to get it done. And he also illustrated to me along with a good friend of mine named Scott Husing that writing is not only, a you know, if you want to be a, a writer, it has to become a job. It's not a pastime. It's not a hobby, which I reluctantly accepted because I was enjoying the hobby side of it. And now I know sure. exactly what they're talking about because it is hard. It's hard work. Um, and it, it became something I really enjoyed. And then I was put in touch with a, a few other people like Paul Zolder from Task and Purpose and a couple other outlets and things are starting to move forward. I look at it kind of as a emerging artist who got some playing time maybe on Spotify. And now people are like, okay, well, if you got one song, but that's not a album. So let's, what do you got? So it, you have to start following up with that. That's self-imposed. Uh, trying not to get back to ego, trying not to be too egotistical about all of this. I have to be able to to continue a, a rhythm with that. I've been talking to other writers and, and and other other people. I'm also working pretty heavily on a novel, which I'd really like to get get assembled and and moving this summer. It doesn't mean it's going to be published this summer, but I'm I'm moving toward on that. I've got a couple of short stories that are moving towards publication, so people can get a little more feeling for me. And then I I do enjoy these podcasts. I enjoy these conversations. Uh, with all kinds of people, I've, uh, I'm trying to get not only the Golden Compass name out there, but certainly a flavor for who we are, uh, yeah. an understanding for who I am. And um, the last part of that, it's also been kind of cathartic. Somebody tells, told me that, and he transitioned from the military a little while ago, that transition is actually an ongoing, uh, we used to say selection is continuous. Well, I would say the, transac- the transition is uh, continuous. I'm, I'm only two months into this. Yes, I started a little bit ahead of time. By, by off off ramping from the from the military, but I am still learning this this environment. I'm still learning how to navigate compass, learn how yeah. to to be a part of this. And it, I went through a lot in 24 years. Maybe it took me a long. It's going to take me longer to categorize that. Really come to terms with it. And all of this is part of a a larger assembly. I won't say cleansing because I don't really want to get rid of it. I want to figure out what to do with it. Mm. going back to my purpose. And so yeah. writing really helps kind of put that in perspective. 
I love it. The uh, so how do you get it all done? Like, what do you think? Like habits wise, you know, because you're running a company, you're consulting organizations, you're writing writing books, you know, doing all the other podcasts and articles. Like, what do you think? Like, what what habits you th- contribute most to your success in all these areas? I make lists. I make lists, and I also try and map out my day. Mm-hmm. Uh, day planners are great. Uh, I use notebooks. Of course, it depends on the notebook I have at hand because there's not like one that's like, okay, this is all the things I'm going to write. I just whatever I'm writing down, I have to remember where I put it. So, yeah. in my own organizational uh, admission here, I probably could be better at it, but I, I make sure that I write stuff down. Uh, I go back and reflect on those lists. Did I accomplish things? If I need to follow up with somebody, uh, and I try pretty hard not to overschedule. Um, the, the whole calendar get on my calendar thing was in, was new to me. And so I, I, I sort of was like, okay, well, I have to set aside my time to be on your time. That makes, I mean, I guess that makes sense. And then when you would call them or, or this happened to me, you call somebody, you're like, well, I for, kind of forgot about that. Or, oh, I don't have time today. Well, wait a second. I spent, <laughs> I committed my you, time. And someone sent you your, their Calendly link and didn't have time for you? <laughs> Holy right. Or they blow off the, I was just like, I don't, that's, that's bad leadership. Ah, like, yeah. You know, just send me an email, say something like, hey, I can't, I, I can't make it today. Or, or whatever, but so these these things that was that was interesting. So I try and be very cognizant uh, of the time. I try and make sure that that I've got things lined out, and yeah. uh, and not over schedule, and also build out enough time to get things accomplished. Um, and I do set aside time for writing. Uh, I have multiple projects going at once because if something's not working in one project, I don't, I don't like the term writer's block. But sometimes you just sit down and something's not happening, so you can switch gears and go to another project. It also keeps the brain moving, which helps. And honestly, it allows for some reflective moments going back to clients and going back to, to maybe issues they're working with that, that I'm thinking through. As I'm writing about something, I'll say, that's where this thing comes down. So you can put down one thing and move to the other. It requires a little bit of um, maybe Tetris, Jenga. You're, you're trying to keep, you know, try and yeah. keep it from falling, but you're fitting the pieces together. And yeah, yeah. so... No, it's, it's awesome. I'm, yeah, the Calendly thing, man. It, but And I, I only laugh and jest because like, it, it can be efficient. Like I use it for a lot of things, but but as a as a means of efficiency in that, um, like because we're time blocking, right? We're saying, hey, my, my, I'm going to spend time here, there, whatever. And you know, when you're trying to coordinate with someone, like it's it it takes all this back and forth. And here's the days I'm available. Here's the days I'm available. So I like kind of have windows. I go, hey, would love to sync up, or would love to do this. And I, and my Calendly is corralled off into areas. So if someone's booking time, like they're going to go on a time that I have already set aside for those activities. Right. So, you know, but yeah, I, I, and it's stuff like that drives me banana. So I had to pick up a little bit. (laughs) But again, it's, it's so, it's so easy to be so bad, right. It's so easy to be a bad leader, man. Oh my goodness. So what do you do to like, keep the energy up? You know, how do you, how do you recharge? I, I do like to continue PT, physical training. I like to run and go uh, go to the gym. Um, sometimes stepping away from projects to do something else. I'm a woodworker, so I'll go work in the wood shop a little bit. Anything to kind of keep the creative mind moving, uh, but away from the thing that you're, you're currently working on, that, that will help a great deal. Um, they call it self-care, right? You, but you got to realize where kind of where you are and stuff. Some days, some days I just don't want to write. You get exhausted and you're sort of like, well, then if you're on a deadline, you don't have a choice. You've got to keep writing that out. But that goes back to making sure you've got time blocks, got things going so that you, you've got an opportunity. And you know, if you, if you have to write into your day, hey, I'm going to go drink a beer at 4.30 in the afternoon is my reward. Well, that's part of your schedule. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Like, go, go do that. Oh, I didn't get a chance to do that. Well, did you not get a chance or you didn't make time or you didn't factor that in for yourself. Like if I miss a day going out to PT, it's because I didn't go to do that. It's not because, oh, I ran out of time. Sure. I try and get up. The one thing the military did cur- curse me with is I still get up early. I still <laughs> get my day moving. Uh, and I and I try and build in as much as I can get done during the day, recognizing that I do run my own schedule. And that's one thing the military would do wonderfully for you, as you know, is you, you didn't have to worry about where you needed to be at any part of the day. Yeah. Uh, so you, you do run your own schedule and you, you can factor those things in. But um, I think there's a bit of a self-care, but also self-leadership. You have to accept where your limitations are. You have to accept 
how you're feeling on those days. And maybe, maybe taking a step back will actually help you get moving. Um, and, and, and that's, those are hard things to recognize, particularly because if you catch a nose down and you're just after it, maybe that momentum is great, but there's a reason as a writer, your first draft sucks and it, it does. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, anything else you're excited, exciting that you're working on right now? Uh, this, this one screenplay I've got going on. I'm pretty, pretty excited about it. I've got to get, uh, I've got to get some more refinement. It's, it's actually due to, uh, to a friend of mine for review, which means it'll just be yet another version draft, but, uh, kind of neat to, to watch how those things unfold. Um, very excited about the future. Like I've really, I'm really just enjoying the space that I'm in and, yeah. and where we're talking, how we're talking about things. And, uh, I just, I'm looking forward to, to opportunities. That's really, it's, it's really amazing. Awesome. Well, getting out of the best decisions I ever made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with regard to people trying to reach out to you, where, where can they find you, learn more, anything like that? I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Ivan F. Ingram. Uh, I'm also at Golden Compass. That's Ivan at Golden Compass LLC.com. We also have a website, Golden Compass LLC. Please check that out. Uh, that's also on LinkedIn. And then I'm available also at Ivan, I-V-A-N dot F dot Ingram. That's I-N-G-R-A-H-A-M at Gmail. So people can reach out and from there we can have more of a conversation about what's important to them. And maybe there's ways that we at Golden Compass or, or, or I can assist in some capacity, provide some perspective. Awesome. awesome. Well, Ivan, man, it's been great having you on today. I appreciate you coming on and great leadership insights. I, re I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Dale. This has been, been absolutely fantastic. All right. Thank you. Talk soon.